Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to Solutions Watch. I am James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you in February of 2024. And as longtime Solutions Watchers know by now, this is the regular weekly series where week in and week out we are looking not at the problems that present themselves to us, but the solutions, what we can actually do about those problems. And one of the problems which, unfortunately, my longtime listeners will be all too familiar with is the problem of political pedophilia and the cacistocracy that supports it. And if you go, for example, to CorbettReport.com and type Epstein into the search bar, you will find a number of reports that I've done on that particular rabbit hole, uh, stretching all the way back to 2015 and my uh, 2015 podcast on political pedophilia, where I was talking about the Epstein case. Way back then, before it was cool, I guess, to talk about that. Anyway, so this is a problem that I'm sure we are all familiar with, or you could become familiar with if you familiarize yourself with the Corbett Report archives. But what do we do about this problem? This is an incredibly important thing to tackle. I think we can all agree. And, well, let's see what we can do about that. Today, we're going to be talking to Nick Bryant of Epstein Justice at EpsteinJustice.com about this organization and what it is seeking to do. So Nick Bryant, thank you very much for joining us here today. Glad to be with you, James. Let's start, since uh, this is your first time on the Corporate Report, let's start by just getting a bit of your background, who you are, where you come from, why you were interested in this subject particularly. I, I'm i from Minnesota originally, and uh, I was I studied philosophy in college, and I worked at the, uh, the medical school, uh, writing papers on ethics and medicine. I guess it's called biomedical ethics now. And um, I, was, I was, I did that for about five years and I started moonlighting as a journalist and I kind of got tired of academia or academia probably got tired of me too. And um, so there was a divorce and I went to New York City and I went East, young man, and started my freelance journalism career in 1995. And what, and I did, I I covered a lot of science conferences. I studied philosophy in college and my, one of my focal points was the philosophy of science. And working at the medical school and writing papers, I got to know biological sciences pretty well. So I was a science reporter for about 12 years, but in addition to doing science reporting, I also wrote for mainstream magazines, and I was having just a wonderful time living in Greenwich Village as a freelance writer. I mean, what more could a guy ask for? And then in 2002, I was in an editor's office, and uh I'd, I'd written about like serial killers and hell's angels and mafiosos. So I, I, he kind of thought of me as like the guy that likes dark subjects, the guy that dances in the dark. So he said, pitch me dark stories. And you know, I just went as dark as I possibly, I, you know, I said, uh, you know, Nazis, Satanists, you know, I mean, what, <laughs> how dark do you want it? And he goes like, Satanists, yes. So I had a simple plan. And when any, when any, whenever anybody says, I have a simple plan, it generally means that there's going to be some convolutions in the way. So I had a simple plan. 
I was, I was going to meet some Satanists. I was going to attend a black mass and uh, write an article. It would have been a good payday. And that was going to be it. And I did meet some Satanists and um, I found them kind of unctuous. I didn't, uh, I, I didn't really wax well with them. Actually, one of them threatened me, which I thought was kind of funny. I'm, I'm six four, and I don't know he was about five two or something like that. I kind of got a kick out of it. But anyway, um, that aside, so when you're looking at like a subject, you always like to get as much background as you possibly can. And I came across a cult called the Finders, and they were in the, the true Finders who were dressed in very nice suits, had been busted in a Tallahassee park with six kids. And the kids were ragamuffins, and some concerned citizens called the Tallahassee police. The Tallahassee police took two look at the finders and look at the kids and impounded everybody. Um, the finders were arraigned on multiple counts of child abuse, and then the kids were put in protective custody, and two of them, according, I've got the... Tallahassee police report. Two of them showed signs of sexual abuse. And I believe that there was child pornography in the van because the U.S. Customs was called in and they're the ones that deal with, with child pornography. And U.S. Customs and the D.C. police hooked up because the D.C. police were looking at the finders for an unsolved homicide and, quote unquote, an, an informant said that they performed blood rituals with children. So they had a, uh, a warehouse in Washington, D.C., and the D.C. police and the customs agents got together and served a search warrant on it. And it was what they found was really bizarre. I mean, they found the finders would, be, would act as babysitters and get intelligence on families, how many kids they had, stuff like that. And there was a telex about them buying two kids in China. Um, just some really horrific stuff. And Ramon Martinez wrote, he was a U.S. Customs reporter, he wrote this report, and it was, it was, it was a shocking report. I mean, when I was reading it, I was, I was pretty stunned. But then the last page is the kicker on that one. Um, he, he, nothing was happening with the case, so he went to the D.C. police, and he was talking to one of... Uh, the detective said he'd executed the search warrant with. And the detective said that the finders had become a CIA internal matter and that there would be no investigation whatsoever going forward. And, and, and that stunned me. I mean, I, I was stunned by that. I, I mean, I'd read a lot of books, studied philosophy, kind of thought of how I knew how the world worked. You know, I knew that the CIA had done some bad things with third world countries that were infringing upon multinational corporations. I knew a little about a little bit about MK Ultra at that point, not nearly as much as I know now, but nothing computed. I just couldn't. It just didn't compute. I mean, it was uh, it, it was a there was I was missing a lot of information. How a bunch of people in a cult, treating children badly, why would the CIA intervene in that? And plus, they're not even supposed to be allowed 
to do anything domestically. So that's where I started digging. I, tried, I wanted to find out what happened. And then I ended up, there was, the, the internet was rife with stories about a similar kind of scenario in Omaha, Nebraska. And there was a documentary made about a conspiracy of silence that was sh uh, shelved by the uh, Discovery Channel in the UK. And there was a former state senator, John DeCamp, who'd written a book about it. And I, I watched the documentary. I, I saw the book. And he made a number of pretty hor horrific claims. He said that it was a nationwide pedophile network. I don't think he really had any. Uh, he didn't have the evidence to back that up, but that's what he said. And he said that the occult was involved and that blackmail was involved and that this network was plundering Boys Town. And it all centered around Lawrence King. So I went there and I knew I, there was enough evidence in the book to, to surmise that something had gone down in Omaha probably between some affluent uh, perverts and, and children. But when I got there, it was, I, was, I was pretty stunned because it was like I was doing an expose on the KGB and college Stalinist Russia. I mean, people, people were terrified to talk. And, um, but I did talk to some people who were involved and and then on my last night there, I get into it in the Franklin scale. I had a death threat. And, um, but I had been followed previously. And I was, but I realized it was all true that there was this huge network that was transporting kids from the East Coast to the West Coast a lot, a lot of time in Washington, D.C. It was hooked up to a, to a, a CIS named Craig Spence, whose house was wired for audiovisual blackmail. They were plundering Boys Town for underage prostitutes, and it was covered up by the Department of Justice and the FBI and the state of, of uh, Nebraska. I realized all that um, was just there for a week. I mean, I really, really pounded the pavement. And, um, and when I was leaving Nebraska the morning after the, uh, the death threat, I, I, I was pretty stunned. I got back to New York City. And one of my mentors, he was a retired journalist. He was a, he was a wonderful guy. His name was Jerry. And uh, we were walking to Washington Square Park. And I, and I said, Jerry, man, it, it's all true. I mean, everything that I told you before I left, it, it, it's all true. And we sat down at a, at a park bench. And I, at this point, I was still a little paranoid. I was looking for snipers on the roof. <laughs> and, and he said to me, I won't lose any respect for you if you decide not to pursue this. It's going to be dangerous. And um, I said, well, you know, all those kids got destroyed with impunity. And I just, I, I'm not going to be able to give it up. I'm not, I, I wouldn't forgive, be able to forgive myself, actually, um, knowing that I might have been able to have done something and not done anything. So... The next seven years of my life was pretty much dedicated to the Franklin scandal. Um, and I worked very hard at that book. I, I met with a lot of publishers, a lot of editors in New York City, and they would give me like 
some bullshit like it's too old or something like that. But I can see them, I can see their cognitive dissonance before my very eyes. Because I had a, I had like a list of victims. I had a bunch of stuff. By the, by the time I left Nebraska, I had a bunch of documentation. And I'd show these editors the list of victims that were compiled by a Nebraska Senate investigator and all kinds of other stuff. And I and then I just look into their eyes and I, I could see the I could see the wheels spinning around and they were th they would think, well. This is a horrible story, and I need. We should really help Nick Bryant out, or I can just write Nick Bryant off as crazy and then go home and have a nice dinner with my family tonight. <laughs> so that's what happened the most of the time. Although some guys would just exclusively talk about libel, and I so I had a I had one agency in New York represent me, and they I gave them the book proposal, and that was the end. And then I had another agent, his name was James Fitzgerald, good agent, tried to sell it, he couldn't sell it, and I, I ultimately ended up getting the book published um, by Trinday on the, uh, in Oregon in 2009, 2010. And then in 2011, I heard about Jeffrey Epstein. And the Franklin scandal had taken a lot out of me. I mean, I gone as deep into a child trapping network as someone could go and live to tell about it. And, um, but I was reading these things where Epstein would have like three underage girls a day, uh, essentially molest three underage girls a day that he had that kind of voracious addiction to it. And there was a grand jury and it didn't indict him on a single count of child abuse. And you saw that in the Franklin scandal. You saw very corrupt. Actually, there were three corrupt grand juries. There were two in Nebraska, a state and a federal grand jury. And they said that the Franklin network entailed no child abuse whatsoever. And I don't know if your viewers are familiar with how grand juries work, but a special prosecutor is cho chosen to present evidence and call witnesses and the grand jurors decide to indict which is formally accuse someone of a crime and grand jurors are just regular citizens that have shown up for jury duty that have been funneled to a grand jury and uh, the special prosecutor there was a uh, it's a famous quip by a uh, New York Supreme Court justice who said special prosecutors have so much power over grand jurors that they can get them to indict a ham sandwich so when I saw that a ham sandwich had been indicted in Florida, I, I knew that something was up. And I went down there in 2012. And man, I, I did not want to investigate another network, but I just uh, felt like I had to. And in 2012, on my first sojourn to Florida, I got Epstein's Black Book. And you talk about... Uh, talking about Epstein in 2015, I, I published his black book in 2015 on the internet. And um, I, I took it to editor, the editors that would still talk to me, I took it to them and I said, you want evidence? Here's his black book. And um, no, one wanted, no one wanted to touch it. And then Gawker um, stepped up and 
and published it. And I wrote some articles about it too. And I thought it was kind of amazing. Here's Gawker that has this really uh, scandalous reputation about being the mean kids on the, on the media block. And um, here they are willing to take a chance. And these other organizations that I pitched Epstein to with the Black Book had wanted nothing to do it, and they were ostensibly embathed in integrity. So that's how I got involved with Epstein, is I published his Black Book in 2015, and it was really interesting, um, because then the floodgates opened on the Black Book. Then everybody started writing articles about the Black Book, but no one gave me credit except for Vanity Fair. Um, and <laughs> You know, tons of ink have been spilt on that black book. And there is no Epstein list. That black book is as close as we're going to come to the Epstein list. And I've, I've gotten to know the Epstein case very, very well. Uh, like I said, I've been looking into it since 2012. And it's very much like the Franklin case. Um, you've got the Franklin case was Republicans molesting little boys, and the Epstein case is essentially Democrats molesting little girls. That seems to be our partisan divide. And of course, there's blackmail. Uh, with the Franklin scandal, Craig Spence, who lived in Washington, D.C., had a mansion in Washington, D.C., where a lot of the pedophilic parties went down. His, he was a CIA asset, and I mean, all this is proven in my book. Um, the Franklin scandal, and, and his place was wired for audiovisual blackmail. Epstein's home in Florida was wired for audiovisual blackmail. When the uh, Palm Beach Police Department executed the search warrants on Epstein's home, they found hidden cameras. Uh, a couple of victims have come forward and talked about the, his New York uh, mansion having hidden cameras, and, and that there was a room with men, as in plural, looking at all the monitors. And of course, uh, his island, anecdotes have come out about his island um, having uh, hidden cameras. So they're very, very similar. And both were covered up. Both pandered these kids to the elite. Um, and, and both were covered up by uh, federal and state law enforcement. And a tremendous, and there were some pretty strange deaths. More so in the Franklin scandal that I know about, but there are some strange deaths, including Epstein's. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, that's that's probably the first one that we would uh, need to investigate. But yes, all right, an extensive background, and it shows how you came onto this case and how you've been working on it for many years. And as I say, I'm sure people in the audience know something about that, and they can go further into your archives and my archives for more information about the Epstein case. But I think... That leads us to the real question of Epstein justice and what that even means and how we can seek to achieve that. And if people go to EpsteinJustice.com, they will see up front and center the uh, the very first line. Epstein Justice is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to justice on behalf of the victims of Jeffrey Epstein and his co-conspirators, which is a bit of an awkward phrasing. I am assuming you are not equating Jeffrey Epstein's victims to his co-conspirators there. You were saying justice for the victims, justice to the co-conspirators, yes. I would assume, something along those lines. But I don't want to put words in your mouth. Tell us, what is Epstein Justice and why and how did you come to found this organization? Okay, so I've been looking at 
when when you cover up a crime, you're aiding and abetting that crime. So I've been looking at child trafficking networks that have been aided and abetted by the government, our government, federal government, um, for 22 years now. And I've seen these really egregious miscarriages of justice. And I just felt something has to be done about this. The media isn't going to cover it. The government is covering it up. And the media is basically adhering to what the government is doing. And this is something that needs to be addressed. Our government should not be involved in trafficking children in any way. And no one wanted to do anything about it. I was, I was thinking that Me Too would do something about it. But I talked to people at Me Too. They didn't seem to be interested. And over the years, I've spoken at a number of anti-trafficking conferences, some fairly big ones, uh, like the National Center on Sexual Exploitation has an international summit every year. And I've spoken at, at three of those. And I've gotten to know a lot of people that have been trafficked. And for the government to engage in such a heinous enterprise, it has to stop. And, um, and with Epstein, a number, and here's the thing, when, when you've got a disease, which this is very much a disease, when you have a disease, you need awareness, and then you need acceptance, and then you need action. Now, I think awareness is out there with, with Epstein. I think everybody in America that followed this knows that something stinks with Epstein. I think the next step is acceptance, that the government is covering up child trafficking. Um, that, I, I think a number of people are there, but, the, but they feel alienated and despondent, but then a lot of people aren't there. So we want to usher people towards acceptance and then ultimately action. And We've put on one demonstration already. We put on a demonstration during the Glenn Maxwell trial, which was a carefully choreographed trial for her. She was indicted on one count of child trafficking, which carries 15 years to uh, life. She should have been indicted on 100 counts of child trafficking. I mean, her and Epstein trafficked little girls for uh, about 25 years. It's kind of interesting. And then you bring into the blackmail facet of this. I wrote a book called Confessions of a DC Madam, The Politics of Sex, Lies, and Blackmail. I wrote it with Henry Vincent, and he ran an escort, a gay escort service that uh, pandered escorts to, well, actually, CIA, a CIA asset. And he used the escorts to compromise closeted politicians. So, and I've, I've got a book coming out next month on the same topic, essentially, uh, CIA honey traps. And at this point, we, we have to do something about it, especially when it comes to children. There was a, uh, uh, in, in the end of, at the end of December, uh, Tim Burchett of uh, Tennessee came out and said, my colleagues are being blackmailed. I mean, that, that's the first time I'm aware of a legislator, a federal legislator coming out and saying my colleagues are being blackmailed. So that's how endemic the problem is. And I believe that we need to dig 
we need to bore into the Epstein problem. The congressional approval rating in the United States is 17%. That means that 83% of Americans don't think that the Congress is doing right by them. And I believe that a lot of that is because our system is so endemic with blackmail. And the only way that we're going to be able to change this is by going into going after Epstein. And Epstein will, will be the, the best opportunity in, in our lifetime and maybe ever to, stop, first of all, stop the government from aiding and child trafficking, but then stop the blackmail. I think we can all agree on this. This is one of the most egregious and in-your-face cases of outright cover-up of a, a dedicated child abuse network that was clearly blackmailing politicians and powerful people, not just in the United States, not Republican-Democrat, but around the world, Ehud Barak and other people in the Black Book, etc. This is a big, big network, and I think we can all agree this cracking this open and really achieving justice for it would go a long way towards sorting out some of the really deep structural systemic issues that are in operating in the cacistocracy that presumes to run the, uni the United States and pretty much every other country in the planet. But the question is, how? You've raised the, you've raised the, the very valid point. It's, it's certainly, we're not going to get this type of real deep dive in the me mainstream media, and we are not going to get it through the government, which is clearly compromised by this very network. And I'm assuming you're not presuming we're going to get justice for this through the controlled court system, are you? Well, here's what I believe. Um, that if enough Mer Americans make enough noise about this, it can happen. Um, we are going, it, it's going to be a difficult battle. There's no doubt about it. Workers' rights, civil rights, women's rights, gay rights, those all started out as grassroots movements and ultimately changed the contour of, of, of our society. This is going to be a similar type of a fight, but like the other movements that I've just talked about, I believe that it's possible because this is the one thing that I don't think Americans can, can live with is once, once they really realize how systemic this is, I believe that things will happen. Um, I believe that there will be a, 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 an awakening like we saw with workers' rights and civil rights and women's rights and gay rights. I believe that those things will happen. What we're doing now is there's, I, I'm getting on as many podcasts as I can and I've got two associate directors who are, uh, we're also getting on podcasts. Um, we're making alliances with other anti-trafficking organizations. We've got a, you can, you can go to our website and there's a petition that we started and that's backed by 52 anti-trafficking, anti-exploitation organizations. And then there's footage of a demonstration that the demonstration that we put on with Delaney Maxwell, and that's backed by 62 anti-trafficking and anti-exploitation organizations. So, Clearly, there's a number of organizations that, that want to take this on. And we have to, as, as Epstein Justice, as we grow, and, and we are growing, um, actually, it's, it's kind of amazing. 
how many people have reached out to us. So we need to gather momentum. Life is really a, about momentum. So at this point, we're, we're gathering momentum and we plan on more demonstrations. And then there's a form letter on our website. I think it's down now, but it will be up in the next couple of days where we, the, the form letter, you push your name and address in and the form letter goes to your federal representatives. And we're reaching out, at this point, we're reaching out to people and the legislator, the federal legislator, that we feel aren't compromised too. So we're bringing this together. We were given 501c3 status in July. And, um, and over the last six months, we've gone from like three of us to an organization that's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. All right. So so let's drill down on the specifics here. So, for example, this petition that is linked on EpsteinJustice.com goes to Change.org. It's a demand justice for Jeffrey Epstein's victims petition. It certainly, it's, uh, currently has almost 40,000 signatures of a proposed 50,000 goal. Um, what is this petition? Who Who are you petitioning and what are you actually demanding here? We are petitioning um, the Attorney General. And what we're demanding is that, and this is what we're demanding, uh, Epstein Justice has two simple demands. Um, and we want to actually get a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. We want the perpetrators to be prosecuted, and we want to know why the government has covered up child trafficking. Those, I mean, that's it. It's, it's very simple. We've kept this as simple as possible. So there's no obfuscation. And we just have those two objectives to make sure that these perpetrators, and we know who a lot of the perpetrators are, to make sure that the perpetrators are prosecuted and for the government to tell us why it has covered up child trafficking. Now, I, I have a pretty good idea of why the government has covered up child trafficking, but we need to know that from the government. So that's what we want from a Truth and Reconciliation Commission is those they're, they're relatively simple things. I mean, it's going to be a, a dogfight to, to, to move the needle, but they're relatively simple things. I, I certainly agree. It obviously will be a dogfight, but that kind of is the point. I mean, I can imagine that cynical people in the audience will say, well, nothing will ever happen. Well, certainly nothing will ever happen if nobody ever tries anything to happen. So I get the point f that fundamentally polis politics really is downstream of culture, and there is no major political movement that's going to arise just on the back of nothing. It will come through grassroots movement and organization and petitioning and people uh, demanding justice. 100% I agree with that. The question, of course, is always in the details of how we get from here to there, and a petition may be a way to start, but uh, I wonder what you have planned longer term for campaigns for getting this momentum moving forward. We're uh, actually going to start coming out with a newsletter. A number of people have left their emails for us. We've got a place where you can leave your email. We're, we're coming out with a newsletter, and then it's just a matter of us getting the resources and starting to mobilize people. We've had, we've put on one demonstration and we're certainly going to be putting on more demonstrations in Washington, D.C. at the Department of Justice because that is where this got covered up. And with the, the newsletter, we want people to disseminate the newsletter that we're going to start sending out. And it's really up to Americans whether or not 
they they want to want this to change. It's going to be up to Americans. That I want Americans to look at. Um, Eighty-three percent of them don't like what the Congress is doing. Um, it's going to be up to Americans to say, you know, we we've, we've had enough. This needs to be investigated. Um, and I think it's really important to keep in mind that if people are going to cynicism is the easiest philosophy. It's just finding negativity in something. If if Americans are going to be cynical about it then it's not going to happen. But if Americans can get on board with what we're doing, then it, then it will happen. These, as I've said, we have seen major changes come from grassroots movements. And now it's time for child's rights. We, we need the rights of children to be protected at this point. Tell us about the team you're working with at Epstein Justice. Who else is working with you on this? Okay, the... Uh, there was a, in the Franklin scandal, there was a young woman named Alicia Owen. And she would not recant her accounts of abuse. Um, and she was indicted on eight counts of perjury by a state grand jury and eight counts of perjury by a federal grand jury. And she was looking at 200 years in prison because she refused to recant her accounts of abuse. She was molested by uh, the Omaha police chief and by a judge. And uh, she'd also saw the publisher of the Omaha World Herald molesting young boys. And she wouldn't, the FBI put tremendous amount of pressure on her, but she wouldn't recant her abuse. And she was looking at 200 years and she was brought before a kangaroo court that sentenced her to nine to 15 years for perjury. And she was 21 when this happened after being trafficked as an adolescent. And then she, the, the authorities really tried to destroy her and put her in solitary for two years. She's an associate director. And I couldn't think of a better person to be working with on this issue than Alicia Owen. She, she is really one of the true unsung heroes of our society. And the other associate director is uh, Peter Shen. He is a retired colonel in the uh, in the U.S. military, and he and I got together. We met on LinkedIn, and um, he really liked what I was because I I've been screaming about this for a while, and he liked it. So uh, Peter is also an associate director, and they're doing. Um, and we're in the process of between Alicia's reaching out to people and I'm reaching out to people and Pete's reaching out to people. And I think we're, we're, we're starting to get some momentum. It's really great. But working with Alicia, watching Alicia, who did all those years in prison because she wouldn't recant accounts of her abuse and who spent two years in solitary, to, to watch her um, try to rectify what's going on with the, the Epstein cover-up is truly an inspiring, it's truly inspiring. And I, and, and she's one of the, the most inspirational people I've ever met in my life. Excellent. Well, uh, we've already mentioned that the, uh, the website is epsteinjustice.com and people can start going there for more information about this. There is obviously the, uh, the in intro on the homepage, but there is the link to the petition information about the protest you held in 2021 
Um, there's a link to join Epstein Justice to get that newsletter that you talked about, um, information about the Board of Advisors, etc. So what steps would you like people to take today, people who are interested listening to this conversation? What should they do if they are interested in helping achieve Epstein Justice? You can go and sign the petition and leave your name. Uh, we've got a box where you can put your name in and send it to us to be part of the newsletter. And you can get involved. We're looking for people to get involved. Um, a lot of the people that are working with our social media um, have come to us and said, we'd like to get involved. And we found a place for them in working with various types of social media. So, and, and social media is going to be the key to this. And we need more people um, to help us with social media. And we will, between myself and Alicia and Pete, we are really dedicated to, to this issue. And, and America owes it to itself to rid itself of the cesspool that is currently making our lawns. Uh, I mean, our politicians really don't care about us. They pass laws where our constitutional rights get trampled upon. They pass laws that make the rich richer, the poor poor. Um, Obama could have passed a universal health care, but no, they gave us more HMOs. And our, the health care is the health care in the United States is completely insane. So our Congress isn't acting in our interest. And I believe that the Congress, a number of members of the Congress, like that congressional person, uh, congressional representative Tim Burchett said, is that they're, they're compromised. So with this, we can hopefully, like I said, this is going to be the best shot in our lifetime to reverse uh, what, what's going on now and to re reverse not only the government trafficking children, but the blackmail, the concomitant blackmail that, that goes with it. Well, as I say, I think the idea of Epstein justice is something that I imagine everyone in the audience can get behind. Um, there are many ways to do that, and I hope people will check out epsteinjustice.com to find out more information about what you're proposing here. And as Solutions Watchers know by now, I am starting a pay-it-forward model, whereby I'm not asking you to pay back gratitude for my work, I'm asking you to pay it forward to deserving organizations. So if you do check out epsteinjustice.com and you do support what they're doing, I suggest that you pay the support uh, that you would give to me forward to Epstein Justice, either in the form of signing their petition, signing up for the newsletter, helping to propagate the word on social media, etc. Or um, let's make it generally about paying it forward to any organization that is working for and with victims of child sex trafficking, which obviously is a calling that I think is uh, definitely in need of support at this point, um, at any point, really. Um, on that note, I'm very, very interested to hear from Corbett Report members about org such organizations that you know of, that you support, that you think are worthy of other people's support. If you are a Corbett Report member, please do log in and leave your suggestion in the comments section for this video. Um, but also, Nick, uh, I know you've mentioned some of the organizations that are working with Epstein Justice, supporting your petition, etc. Are there any particular organizations you'd like to draw people's attention to? All these organizations that we're working with are really good organizations. Um, I'm, you know, the, 
we're working with like 50 different organizations. Um, the National Center on Sexual Exploitation is is a really uh, really good organization. They've got um, they're generally uh, a lot of people have they're primarily Christian. Um, some people have problems with that, but they're, but they're very good people. The International Center on Sexual Exploitation um, is somebody we're working with. The Coalition Against Trafficking in Women we're working with. Um, and Children of the Night uh, is an amazing organization. It's uh, Lois Lee. Dr. Lois Lee is the founder. And they take, she, she's actually on our advisory board. And they take girls off the streets, give them a place to live, give them health care, educate them, and actually help them go through college. Um, Equality Now is 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 a is a solid organization. Um, Coalition to Abolish Slavery, Slavery and Trafficking is good. Shared Hope International is good. Um, so there's. Global Centurion is a, is a good organization. So there's a lot of organizations that are 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 in this fight, and and that's the other thing about um, this problem. According to the Centers for Disease Control, and I think that this is a very conservative number, 25% of underage girls get sexually assaulted, and 7% of underage boys get sexually assaulted. And I think that the numbers on the girls are low, and I think the numbers on the boys are way low. But that's 52 million people and in the United States who have been sexually assaulted as minors. So this not, not only does Epstein represent something really horrific, but this is something that's really horrific in, in our society. And we're not going to be able to prevent all molestations uh, of underage girls and boys in our society, but we can start by, you know, making sure that the government doesn't participate in any. I mean, that I think that's a really good starting point. Um, and the Catholic Church is certainly been outed, and they've had to pay millions. The Boy Scouts have had to pay millions, but there's still other institutions that are covering up child trafficking. So. These are our major issues in, in our society. And but when the government is aiding and abetting this kind of a crime, it it's just it, it's heinous. And I believe that this is really the only issue that can really wake up Americans. And we're so politically divided right now. The the right thinks the left has gone insane, the left thinks the right has gone insane. This is the only issue I believe that can bring the right and the left together is that the government should not be aiding and abetting child trafficking. I believe it's the only issue that can bring bring everyone in the political spectrum together. It, it seems like the absolute most basic, most elementary, most fundamental moral principle that we could possibly have as a society. So, yeah, I would imagine that that would cut across any political division. And at any rate, it is uh, a cause that I imagine many people in the audience will find to be a worthy cause. So I hope people will at least check into EpsteinJustice.com. But I think we'll leave today's conversation there today. Nick Bryant, thank you very much for coming on the program. Thank you for having me, James.